When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Joe Lowry, and today we are digging into the MLS postseason. We're going to talk through the conference finals that took place on Saturday. FC Cincinnati and the Columbus crew with Columbus prevailing in the Eastern Conference. And LAFC taking care of business at home against the Houston Dynamo to win the West. We're going to talk about those games and look ahead to MLS Cup on Saturday in Columbus, Ohio, which is where I will be on Saturday throughout this week. To do all of that with me is the one, the only, David Goss. David, good to see you, first of all. And second of all, how are you? I'm fantastic. I love Columbus, Ohio. So I'm stoked for you. (laughs) I won't be going, but I'm stoked for you. I'm stoked for the city of Columbus. Columbus is low-key a great city. Okay, so let's unpack this, I already threw shade by saying low-key. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, but it's also a little a little warranted, right? I'd say that as someone from Phoenix, so I, I get people talking bad about Phoenix all the time. I want to understand from you, David, because you have been there, clearly, and have good things to say about it. I have not. I've never been to okay. the great or oh, really not so great state of Ohio. I've never been to Ohio, never set foot in Ohio. Walk me through Columbus, what you like about it, what makes it good, all that stuff. So I think a lot of people from Columbus would say it's not like super similar to the rest of Ohio. And that's kind of one of the saving graces. So I'm not speaking about Ohio <laughs> right now. I'm speaking about Columbus specifically, but it's a good gotcha. city. It's a gr- it's a growing city. Like I think I went for the first time in 2013. Are we talking metro population right now, David? Are we talking population? I, don't I even, would be. Don't even I'm, get me started. I'm pretty sure Columbus has been on the list. 10 fastest growing cities in America wow. for a few years now. But it just like I went there, I think 2013 for the first time for USA, Mexico. Had okay. like one of the best days of my life. I took a Greyhound bus through Pittsburgh for 18 hours or something like that to get there. Then I walked from downtown to out where the old stadium was, which is a hike. And then like drank in a bar for like 12 hours and then went to the game, the U S one does a Sarah and went from there. But every year you go, it's like growing, it's growing more. It just, it has a good downtown. So it's like easy to be around everyone without like being on top of everyone. Like you go to some cities like in LA It's like you have to be invited to this one specific place and everyone has to be there. Otherwise, you don't know where anyone is and like you're not really in the same area. And Columbus is like has the short north. You kind of wander around. Great food market. Some really cool communities that are from different countries. Like you have obviously the German population, all of that. But like there's a huge Somalian population that's really proud and growing. And so you can go get Somalian food and it's just like a different vibe inside the same city. Uh, Of course, the universities are there. So it's just... For the most part, I find people are like pretty happy, pretty easy. It's a manageable city and you get the vibe. Every time I'm there for like a crew event or USA game, it feels big. Mm. And that's not the case with every MLS city. So on top of it being like a fun city to be in and 
good food, good drink, like stuff to do. It is like a good soccer market. And it fe- like when they host USA Mexico, it's like on all the local papers before it happens. Like USA versus Mexico this Friday coming up, blah, blah, blah. Like people know what's going on there. And so it's cool. Love it. I love Did all I that. Sell and, it? And I think you sold it well. I was about to say, you you touched on a, a point that's very dear to my heart, and I know it is to yours and, and Taylor's as well, even though Taylor Rockwell is not with us on this episode, which is food. I want to clarify, when you said Columbus has a good food market, do you mean it is a good market for food or there is actually like a good food market in the city of Columbus? There is a great covered downtown market that has love like that. A, all the different stalls, which I love, and you can get like a bunch of random stuff and you can put it all together. So that's a dream. That's a great place. And then in general, I'd say it is not an elite food city, but it's a high floor food city. Mm. Like For the most part, you're getting a solid meal. Most places you go, there's a few spots that are going to be like overwhelmed over the course of the weekend. And I'll text you, but you're fine without most of them. All right. Well, we run we run through the city of Columbus at this point. Uh, nothing but the people highest should marks, send Rex though. mostly. Yeah, yeah, they should. And, and a couple of folks have already reached out with uh, with offering to give me some Rex, and I have agreed. Yes, I'm still waiting on the actual Rex. Now I'll add you to that list, David Goss, yeah. and know that I will be coming back to you on that. We're not here to talk about food. We're not here to talk about my trip to Columbus. Although we will later on in the show talk about MLS Cup between LAFC and the Columbus Crew. We'll dig into all the ins and outs of that game and have a pretty lengthy preview of that matchup on Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Before we do that, though, guys, let's pick up from where we left off in the postseason in Major League Soccer. We last previewed the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. Now those games have actually happened. We're going to start in the Eastern Conference and dig into the Columbus Crew's 3-2 comeback win, a wild win in a Derby game, an absolutely absurd match. I said this on Weekend Review uh, earlier on today. I think this episode will still go out on the day that Weekend Review came out. We said it earlier on, like this, this was maybe the best game of the season in actual MLS play, not counting any of Inter-Miami's League Cup shenanigans. Am I way off on that? Like this game was awesome, Goss. You're not off at all because this game is in the conversation for best playoff games of all time. You add a lot of different elements in. You add in the rivalry and the rivalry reaching this point where we weren't sure that it would ever get to. And one that seems fairly genuine and then has a bunch of fissures of it's the cities. It's the culture of the cities. Then it's the style of the teams. It's the history of the teams. Like there are so many different elements. You throw on top of that pure quality some of the best players we've ever seen in this league facing off. The way Columbus affects a game, I'm not going to give Cincy credit there. Of like Columbus opens up games. They're fun. They, you have no choice but to play in the game they set. And you add in the comeback, which I think you touched on right there at the top. Is This is the first time in MLS history teams come from behind, from two, two goals down, to come back and win in an elimination game. So like you had quality, you had storylines, and then you had actual drama that played out to perfection it is i've watched the game like two or three times pretty much at this point because it's just exactly what you're looking for in a soccer game yeah it's it's unfortunate that whoever is running the show over there in new york has uh, taped their eyelids open and put that in front of you but i mean of all the games to be forced to watch three times this this is the one like all the reasons that you mentioned some of the stuff that i led with the top line of my notes in bold Such a fun game. Open early on, right? Like very open early on. End-to-end stuff, mistakes, excellence, all of those kind of things. This game had that stuff, right? Columbus come out early on 
And they do exactly what you said, David. They go out there and they they force Cincinnati to play how the Columbus crew want to play. And since he came out and, and they did get a little bit more aggressive than Orlando did in the previous round. But Cincinnati, I was digging into the numbers earlier. Overall on the year, they have the most possession in Major League Soccer. They average more possession than any team across any game, right? You go and you look at Columbus? just the road numbers. Columbus, yeah. yeah. You, go you and, said and Cincinnati, at, I was like, whoa. <laughs> plot twist, <What>? my bad. <laughs> plot twist. Uh, I went out and falsified data and looked at the since FC Cincinnati <laughs> was top of the list. No, Columbus lead the league in possession, right? I think everybody kind of knows that at this point. You go through and you just filter out all of the home games. You're only looking at away games in Major League Soccer this season between the playoffs and the regular season. The Columbus crew averaged 55.4% possession in away games this season. This game was an away game for the crew. That 55.4% possession number is more, is equal to or more than any other team in Major League Soccer across all of their games. So even the road version of the crew plays like the most possession-heavy version of any team in Major League Soccer. That didn't surprise me, but I love that stat because it completely illustrates what the crew wants to do. And they came out in this game and they tried to do it. The problem for Columbus was they were creating some chances. They didn't finish early on in Cincinnati credit to them. They got engaged. They tried to engage the ball higher up the field. They tried to get down Columbus's grill and they had some success doing that. Not throughout the entirety of the 120 minutes, right? Otherwise this game wouldn't have even have gone to 120 minutes in the first place. But Brandon Vasquez gets Cincinnati on the board in the 14th minute, sort of against the run of play. It's after a Mo Farsi turnover and his inclusion in the lineup to begin with. It's still a little bit of a head scratcher. David, when that goal finds the back of the net in the 14th minute, I'm sort of sitting here thinking, okay, this is exactly what the crew could not have happen. One early mistake since he finished off that chance. Now they're playing from behind. And at that point, the script kind of starts to flip. And it, it really did feel like it was starting to flip to start this game. It's, I thought it was good that you touched on Orlando because it is what Orlando was incapable of. Of Columbus will open the door to you. Like, they have to. They have to open themselves up. They have to play high possession. They have to do all the things you talked about that they like to do because that's the way they've built their team. They have not built a team that can play both ways. They have not built a team that can take a game but then decide, no, we're actually going to sit deep in a block. They don't have the individuals who are capable of defending in that way. They don't really work on it enough to be structured and clean enough in their lines to let a game play. So they have to open up and give you chances. And the formula for beating them is taking advantage. So when Cincy scores that goal, and especially because there's a lot of expectation, a lot of pressure on Lucho's shoulders for it to be Bupenza to Vasquez without Lucho having to be involved. I think kind of was like, wow, since he got one, because at some point the expectation was Lucho will create something later on. So now you're looking at a team in Cincinnati that can play from a lead. They can sit as deep as they want. They can hit in transition. They don't have any expectations of what they have to do going forward. And you kind of already feel like there's another goal out there for them. So it's that dream start like you talked about. Now in saying that, I don't know how much the script really changed because what makes Columbus great is the lack of panic in the team. And that's, I mean, Cucho creates a chance two minutes after Brandon Vasquez's goal where he gets down the left channel, pulls it back for Diego Rossi. Rossi tries to wiggle between two defenders. He gets a shot blocked. Cucho picks up the rebound and forces Celitano into a save. And it, it, in many games that you see, especially in the postseason, like teams start to change what they do because they're panicked. So they're going a little bit too quick, something that we actually saw Cincinnati do at times. Columbus never did that over the course of time. I thought Cincinnati was a little more composed in possession at times throughout that first half as it wore along, including 
the moments that created the second goal. But like that's the that I think is where Columbus has won throughout this season is to the numbers you said of like not adjusting to anything that happens to them. The crew do not really get phased by all that stuff, but the odds of them going through and, and doing what they actually did yeah. crater right after you give up the opening goal, playing away from home, home field advantage is, is big everywhere in the world, but it is really big in major league soccer that changed the calculus in a lot of ways of, of what it was going to have to look like for Columbus to come back. Right. Stating the obvious there. I had down in my notes at that point, you know, down but not out, right? Because the chances that you mentioned there, Goss, for Columbus are very real. You know, they created a bunch of shots in this game, not just later on in the match when they actually get the comeback, but they created more shots than, than Cincinnati did. They had double, more than double the number of total shots in the first 45 minutes than FC Cincinnati. And one of those last ones for Cincy comes right before halftime, right? So they had they had done Columbus. They had created far more chances than Cincinnati to open this game but I do want to give Cincinnati a little bit of credit, right? With at least how they finished the first half. After about 25 minutes or so of this game, Columbus do start to dominate the ball and dominate field position. And it feels a bit more like Cincinnati, we're, we're taking a page out of Orlando City's book, which is not really their book because a bunch of teams have defended deeper against the crew this year, right? But since he dropped a little bit deeper and they started to waste time, like they started to go out there and try to tick the clock forward, have it have everything they were doing take longer. Celentano was all of a sudden not in a rush to get the ball back into play and goal, right? All of those little things. And when they get that second goal, which comes off of a legitimate moment of quality, Alvaro Barreal just taking over and threading Brandon Vasquez in behind just before halftime, Brandon Vasquez draws the yellow card. It is very, very light, but to me, it looks like there is contact that comes from Steven Marrera on Brandon Vasquez. It's a yellow card. It's a Lucho Acosta free kick. The ball's in the back of the net. This is the point. Gosh, even if Columbus aren't like freaking out and it didn't really look like they were, this is the point where if I'm a Columbus crew fan, I'm thinking, okay, I know this team has done so many good things this year. I know they've created so many chances. Two goals down on the road against the Supporter Shield winners. You are not feeling good at this point. Like you think, and people were tweeting this, and, and I'm sure Columbus Crew fans were feeling it. You think the game is over. And because it's the crew and because of the stuff that you already said, it, it just wasn't over. Yeah, that was the moment. The 2-0 is the moment where I looked at it and said, took them over 90 minutes to score against Orlando. Like, for all the possession, for all the quality, for all the chances, there's a reason Columbus did not score 900 goals this year. It takes them time to create that final third chance. There's, at times, lack of quality finishing. At times, there's lack of threat. Not a lot of guys shoot from distance, so you can pack in. Like, you know with Columbus, it will take them time to create the chances and for them to create enough chances for the efficiency to finally hit, for them to score. And at 2-0, it just felt like too, too much. For them to score twice in the second half in a game which Cincy just had to see it out. And again, it all went into Cincy's hands there of like, well, now you have to push numbers forward. So now Bupenza or Lucho or Brandon Vasquez can go find chances in the open field. And you don't, you, I still don't trust most of Columbus's defenders to defend 1v1 in the open field. And I still don't trust Odmanson as much. I don't trust Marrera to be able to hold up consistently. And so it sort of felt like the dam had broken on that second goal. And you feel the emotion in the building. And yeah, the timing well, too. Uh, all that well, I was about to say similar to what we'll talk about in the LFC Houston game, that moment right before halftime. So you go in, the home team goes in on a high, the crowd behind them, everyone, you know, all about it. And Wilfred Nance kind of has to rework what he's thinking and what he's going to say. And so, yeah, the timing of that felt huge and it felt like a big deal. And yet, 
Columbus was not faced. So you talked about your first line note, which is this game was really fun. My first line note was all caps. Columbus never changes how they play. There were changes to personnel, which change elements of it. It is amazing to me in moments. After they scored to make it 2-1, it felt like Christian Ramirez and some of the other guys were just telling everyone to calm down. Like, these are not calm down moments. <laughs> and I made the joke on, on ETR with, with Weeby of like, Mo Farsi gives up the ball for the opening goal. It is a very lightly forced error. It's pretty much an unforced error. I, Mo Farsi is the 11th starting player on this team. Like, he is the debatable one. He was not a starter when the Atlanta series began. He is now. He's come from MLS Next Pro. He has not a high-level career. He's not making a ton. Like, And two minutes later, he's going on an amazing run into the box, trying to create a chance. That's your right wing back out of MLS Next Pro, you know, Canadian Premier League. The amount of confidence all these guys are given and the belief that they can sort of, if they do the things that they're in the team for, it'll work in the end is astronomical. And so Columbus comes out and plays the same way to start the second half, no changes. And like, I think once again, you saw the belief in the group that at some point it would turn, at some point it would change. And they don't panic and they don't lose themselves where I think Houston did and it becomes harder to see the road back. We'll talk about the rest of this Eastern Conference final, how the Columbus crew actually pulled off this comeback. Then we'll get to the West and then we'll take a look at MLS Cup. All coming up after a short break. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 100 
and 75 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. David, you took us right into break very, very well with a look at how the crew just don't change anything. And that kind of moves me into the next question that I wanted to ask you about this Eastern Conference final with the crew coming back to win 3-2 in Cincinnati. How how do they pull this off, right? Because I think we both agree, not a lot structurally outside of some personnel changes changed for Wilford Nance. He's gone to the 3-4-3 basically every minute of this 2023 campaign in every competition. We know how the crew want to play with their principles, with their tactical approach, with their setup, all that stuff. How did they go in this game, Goss, from being down 2-0 up against the wall to up 3-0 by the time extra time was over? So the obvious top line is the personnel of, so they bring in Christian Ramirez, who has come off the bench, helped create the goal against Orlando. I don't think he technically scored. In stoppage time has been like the other part of that attack. Uh, And then they brought on Julian Gressel, who didn't play in the final game of the Atlanta series, did not play against Orlando, and had not played, you know, from the start here. And so it felt like he was finished as a Columbus crew player, he's a free agent at the end of the season. They just acquired him, but they bring those two players in and they bring them in from O'Farsi as a like for like change. And then I think the surprise is for Aiden Morris. And so Matan drops a little bit deeper. And what you do in bringing Christian Ramirez on is you unlock Cucho to go find the game. Cucho now plays a role more similar to what Matan normally does, but in keeping Matan on the field, you had another number in the attacking third that, Cincinnati had to deal with. So as Cucho went to find the game, he goes out wide, whips in a gorgeous cross that Rossi heads over, um, goes out left, picks up the ball, likes to be dangerous in that channel. The Cincinnati team still has to track Matan in similar areas. So that opens up more space. Ramirez sort of occupies center backs a little bit different. And Gressel is the one big change. Gressel likes to play early balls. He likes to whipping crosses. He does not want to take his guy on 1v1 as often and try and get to the end line or try and get inside and connect. That's most of what Mo Farsi does. So that's the big change, which is now you have a guy in Gressel who can take advantage of the space being left him out wide and start to get earlier balls into the box and change the threat up a little bit, force Barial to defend a little bit more. That's the personnel. That's a little bit of the change to the soccer. I think a large part of it was just energy. Hmm. You had Nwobodo out once again. You had Matt Miazga suspended once again, coming off a big game last week. It felt like, and Santiarias clearly not 90 minutes match fit. It felt like Columbus maintained their level or raised a little bit. And Cincinnati fell off as the game went along. And I don't know that there was much Pat Noonan could really do about that. Although... The goal, the second goal is a chaotic moment that Noonan sort of causes with his substitution pattern. But that is a large part of what went down is just Columbus was ready to play 90 to 120 minutes at the same level. Cincinnati wasn't capable of it this weekend. Some of the subs really do paint that picture well, Goss, of Columbus bringing on Julian Gressel and Christian Ramirez, two very good players. One one great player in Julian Gressel and mm-hmm. what he does, and one good, very serviceable striker in Christian Ramirez who's come up big in multiple moments this year. And who do FC Cincinnati bring off the bench? I have nothing but respect for the hard talk club, believe me. But it's Ray Gaddis, right? And, and you start to see, okay, 
Cincinnati, best record in the regular season. They do have depth. They do have quality. They've exhausted those things this yeah. year because of various circumstances, right? Nick Haglin's the one pulling out the sword in the pregame. He's out, right? Starting center back, out. Uh, you look at Matt Miazga, suspended. You mentioned him. Noboto comes off the bench in the 85th minute of this game out of the starting lineup once again, as you said. Like, they don't have the healthy, available top-end talent in their midfield and in their defensive line that they had when the season started, right? Santi Arias has not really ever turned into the player that I think Cincinnati hoped he would be. Still very effective with the ball, very useful when they're trying to be the team that is the protagonist. But when the script flips and all of a sudden you have Yaya Boa running at you in the 61st minute and you get absolutely destroyed just inside the edge of the box and you throw up your hands because you know how bad that defending was on your part and Columbus are that much closer to the goal. Like you can see in all of these individual moments, the Ray Gaddis sub in the 65th, um, then bringing on Don Baggi when Cincinnati or when Columbus, excuse me, are bringing on Ramirez a little bit later, right? All of those things paint the picture of the difference, not, not necessarily in terms of how these squads were built, but because of the fortune and the decision-making, when you think about Matt Miazga's suspension, yeah. that these two teams made throughout the year. So I feel for Cincy a little bit, right? I feel for them that they couldn't bring on their own elite defensive talent or their own whatever. They couldn't rock with the same starting 11 that got them to this game in the first place. But mistakes and misfortune along the way made that basically impossible for Cincinnati. And even if you talk about for Cincinnati, if nobody was healthy... Yuya Kubo is the guy you bring off the bench. He brings a little bit more possession. He originally came in a designated player, does not play at that level, does not play the same position. But the point being, like, there is quality, I think, as you said, in the Cincinnati team because of these absences, because of injuries. And I genuinely think at this point, you have to say Matt Miazga being suspended is potentially the reason they're not hosting MLS Cup. That is something he and this team is going to have to deal with going forward because based off what we're reading and what we think happened and what's been ruled happening, it was an unforced error. He went out of his way, both on the field with the kissing and the hearts and all that stuff, which was so stupid and clearly going to end in a yellow card and then eventually a red card to trying to go into the locker room. I mean, if he doesn't try and do that, he's on the field in this game. So now you push Mascara back to his natural position. Now you've got Alvis Powell off the field, so you can bring him on as a sub when RS is done or Gaddis to try and clear close this game out. You've got Mascara and Miazga there managing the back line. And then if Nobodo is healthy, this is a guy who started 30 games in the regular season. This is not like, oh yeah, no, they've played a bunch without him. They know how to. And I had him in my best 11 when I put it together at the end of the season. I think he is every bit as important to this team as Lucho, and Miazga, who both won awards as MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. So they are huge losses, and Cincinnati was not able to overcome it. They weren't able to keep the pressure up. And then I think for Columbus, you look at they score, no pressure. They score the second goal in a big moment. And when they score the second goal, that's when Nobro had just gotten subbed on. It's his first play of the game back in. Hasn't played in a competitive game in about a month at that point. Clearly is not healthy. And the entire back line's in chaos because Dom Baji's been dropped in as a center mid because Lucho can't run. He's cramping. And so not only is Dom Baji brought on, which, you know, he's had good moments this year, but isn't the highest level player. He's not playing in a position he's never played before. He's tracking Diego Rossi into his own defensive box. Mascara's ball watching. Ian Murphy's been pulled out of position. So you've got Alvis Powell as sort of the only player left in the middle of the box. It's a chaotic moment. I thought Noonan 
clearly at this point, made the mistake in, in trying to bring Nobodo on and thinking he could help them and made that judgment wrong. And in dropping Baji back, I think he threw his own lines off in that crucial moment, which immediately they get killed for. But it's also excellent. It's Christian Ramirez's first touch off a, a bouncing cross at full speed into Rossi's feet, laid off to Cucho, and then after it gets tackled away, Rossi is prepared to take the touch and finish calmly, doesn't rush it, doesn't panic, and Columbus just has that belief that those moments will come at some point if they continue doing what they do best. Yep, three goals for the Columbus crew from the 75th minute of this game to the 115th minute. They got it to extra time off of that Rossi goal that you just described, Goss, and then Gustav Ramirez puts them ahead in the 115th minute. Again, truly an awesome game. Good moments from both teams. Let's let's quickly wrap up Cincinnati because we'll get to Columbus a bit more later on with our MLS Cup chat. And I, I want to talk a bit more about Gressel and some big decisions that await for Wilfred Nance and for Steve Trondolo on the opposite side of that matchup. But for Cincinnati, Gus, how do you contextualize this season now that it ends one game earlier than Cincinnati fans certainly would have wanted? How do you view their 2023? It is... A firm statement that they are one of the league leaders in Major League Soccer because last year was the bump. So last year was fourth in the East or fifth in the East, win a playoff game, go to another round. They're not a laughing stock anymore. Okay, they've established themselves, but we've seen teams fall off. So to not only re- reaffirm that, but then take it another step and finally win a trophy for your team, you have now put yourself in a different echelon. The belief is they will continue on that road. Most of the guys in the spine are going to be back. Barial and Brandon Vasquez are like the two big question marks, and Yerson Mascara as well. But every team rolls players over. Every team loses some part of their roster. They are going into next year, an MLS Cup preseason favorite. They are one of the model franchises now for the way they've run things, for the way they've turned things around and operate. And they've shown now, I think, in going from Brenner to Bupenza, uh, in going from some of the center backs they lose at last year to bringing in Mosquera, they've shown an ability to turn over the roster and continue to get good and continue to get better. So, like, they are in a spot where if you're a Cincy fan, you should have expectations now going forward. Yep, yep. I think that's the perfect way to phrase it. This this year was, in my mind, a massive success for Cincinnati to win a trophy, to win the Supporter Shield, to be the best team in MLS for the vast majority of. The season of of the MLS offering, right? Cincinnati was that team in the regular season, not always winning games by massive margins. And that's probably the the next step for them next year is to go out and turn one nils into two nils or three nils or whatever it is, right? To go out there and and take advantage of those kinds of moments. There are going to be big roster decisions that Pat Noonan and Chris Albright have to make between now and the start of next year and in in the summer as well. But this Cincy team is now, I think you said it, like there are expectations for them to be an elite team in Major League Soccer, and I see absolutely no reason why they won't be at or near the top of the Eastern Conference again next year. They made it to two semifinals, MLS Eastern Conference final, obviously, counting as one, and then the Open Cup. They lost both with a 2-0 lead, which is a little bit tough, but to win the Shield creates a space now where it's like, you've already won a trophy, and so now you have a little bit more freedom inside this run when you make it to playoffs and whatever to take off some of the pressure of like, you got to win that one thing first. And I think that's massive to have done that this year. They probably did it in a year where some of the regular season was a little bit down. We look at the Western Conference and the inability of those teams to put together high point totals and you know none of them basically could have hosted MLS Cup. 
it's just good that when you had the chance, you took advantage here, you won that first trophy. And so I think that takes some of the pressure off going forward. All right, well, we'll tie the bow there on Cincinnati for now. Before we get to our second break, Goss, let's let's start digging into LAFC's 2-0 win over the Houston Dynamo. This game was later in the evening on Saturday. We had a, a little bit of a chance to come down from the, from the high of the Eastern <laughs> Conference Final. This game not quite as compelling, but to stick with the whole top line in my notes idea from this show that we've sort of stumbled into, LAFC, ruthless and talented. Like, that is the story of this game for me. LAFC created the better chances. They took their chances. And their quality is still in a position where you know, there aren't a lot of teams in Major League Soccer outside of, you know, Columbus and a couple of others here and there that can compete for them player for player. And Houston certainly could not do that. The flow of this game surprised me. I, I talked about this. I wrote about it for Backheeled. The idea that LAFC have become this transition team under Steve Torundolo. They've gone, they've kept the 4-3-3 shape from Bob Bradley, but really, they don't love having the ball. They don't keep a ton of it in games. Yeah, they were over 50 on the, on the year in terms of possession average, but you watch them play and they don't love being in possession. It's not their thing. They'd rather play on the break. But I thought the Houston Dynamo going into LA would come out and say, hey, we're the away team. You're better than us. Like, Houston know that, right? They should be able to look at the squads and say, you're better than us. You've been in more of these moments in recent years. Like, we are going to be the ones who abdicate to you. We're going to be the ones that put the pressure on you to break us down. Not just because it's LAFC, but because that's what Houston did almost all year long. They averaged a bunch of the ball at home, and they went out and they had like five plus points fewer possession on the road. Like, that was a no-brainer to me in this game. And I talked about it as such leading up to Saturday. And you come, you come into this game and you finish it. And all of a sudden, the Houston Dynamo have 70% possession and even had a bunch of the ball at an even game state, right? Even at nil-nil. It wasn't just Houston having to trail this game after they go down one-nil before halftime. No, like it was the same pattern for 90 plus minutes. I could not believe that that was the case. It clearly did not work out for the Dynamo whatsoever. I think it was a massive miss from Ben Olsen. Gus, what did you make of this game and, and maybe even how it flowed from the opening whistle? I thought it was the only choice they had to make. So I don't agree the like, oh, readjust. You're going on the road. You're going to play LAFC. LAFC struggling in this moment. Houston went three, nine, and five on the road for a reason. They're not very good at defending. I think they had set a tone over the course of this playoffs, and they're, they were the underdog. They weren't the favorite. Go out and try and take it. Because if you sit in, you're basically just hoping LAFC struggles to finish. And... I think if LAFC puts on a performance in MLS Cup like we've seen so far this month, I think there's like genuine questions you can ask about what LAFC stands for and what they want to accomplish. Not there yet, 100%, but... Goss hates 20, LAFC, by the way. Just you had 29% possession at home in a playoff game in front of your state, in front of your crowd. Like This is Bob Bradley's club that in 2019 did things that we had never seen before. And played in ways we had never seen before. And I think there's an acknowledgement from John Thorrington of like what wins and what doesn't, which is why this MLS Cup is a beautiful thing. And we'll talk about it in a moment. But it goes to this game as well of like what you want to be represented as, what you want to do. And LAFC wants to be a winner. That's their number one thing right now. And that's fair. That's what professional sports are for. That's like kind of everyone's job in the building. So I understand doing it. And so I'm not super shocked by this game. I just... I don't see a world in which Houston goes into this game and Griffin Dorsey sits back in a block and is able to defend 1v1 against Buanga and Diego Palacios and Vela floating over there over and over again. And even if they did, 
LAFC is still going to score on set pieces because that's what they do. And that's what they're capable of. And Vela's capable of it. And obviously their aerial targets are and Hollingshead and all of that. So I thought Houston did kind of all they could do in a moment like this. And in a moment in that franchise where we talked just now about like Cincinnati, Houston's one year behind. You've established who you are. I don't think you want to walk away from that in the biggest moment with the most eyes on you just to try and sneak a result because I think you lose some of your identity. Yeah, so I, we, we definitely disagree on the approach for the Dynamo coming into this game. R- remind me what the road record was for the, for the Dynamo, if, you, if you've still got it. I think it was 3-9-5. and five. Okay, 3-9-5, and five, which is basically... Wait, are draws second in that or are draws third in pretty that? pretty sure I, losses are, are second <laughs> in that. I know. E- either way, either Shows way. Shows how much we know about this league. Yeah, losses are second, so 3-9-5. Either way, that is basically, you know, right on average. When you think about home teams in Major League Soccer winning 50% of the time, the Dynamo are just under that, right? I don't think that's a huge surprise. And frankly, 3-9-5, and five, where 8 of 17 results are at least getting you to extra time in the postseason. Yes. Like, that is, that is a completely fine ratio of on the road. The Dynamo went out this year, and on the road, they would give up the ball. And, and you know why? Gosh, because... They can't go out there and consistently create chances with possession. They absolutely cannot do that. I know a lot has been made, and justifiably so, about how aesthetically pleasing the Dynamo are. Right? They're so fun to watch when they do open up the game and keep the ball. Hector Herrera, Artur, Coco Carasquilla, all fun players to watch in possession, add in the other pieces around them. And, and you have something fun, but you don't yet have something fun and reliably consistent when it comes to creating chances in the attack. The Dynamo is still their best method of creating chances, And I know you looked at it from, well, how do you defend against LAFC? And you don't trust the Dynamo to defend in their block for most of a game. And you know what? I understand that. But I don't trust the Dynamo to defend against LAFC regardless. So I flip it around the other way. And I don't. Oh, well, the same goes for basically any team in Major League Soccer, by the way. That's not a shot at Houston. The same. We can say the same, and will say the same about Columbus. Uh, looking forward to MLS Cup. But I, I flip it around and look at the attack and think, okay, how can the Dynamo create chances against one of the best defensive teams in all of Major League Soccer? It's not with the ball. Right, You go through and watch them play. We talked about how they kind of wore Sporting Kansas City down in the last round. They didn't create a bunch of chances in that game. They didn't no. like dominate they Sporting Kansas City. They scored off a set piece. Right, This Dynamo team does not yet create reliable chances with all of their possession play. And Ryan Hollingshead, LAFC defender, scorer of the, the go-ahead goal in the first half here for LAFC, had this quote after the game. He said, quote, They like to play this little tiki-taka in the middle of the field, one-twos, but they're going nowhere. So we just said, do whatever you want, have the ball as much as you want, They created zero dangerous chances. And you know what? He is 1,000% right. The Dynamo were impotent with with the ball in this game. And I I didn't really expect anything different. Folks who've watched this team play throughout the year, they they will expect to see patterns. They will expect to see uh, the Dynamo using their possession as a defensive metric. But they're still a year at least away from, two transfer windows away from, being this team that actually creates with the ball. So if I'm Houston, and I agree that LAFC are going to have their chances no matter what. And Goss, you and I would agree on that. I flip the script and say, well, okay, how can I get a chance or two to give us something, to give us a hope of getting to extra time or maybe nicking a a one-goal win in here somewhere? And the reality was Houston did not set themselves up for success when it came to their attacking play in this game, or at least I I would view this as Ben Olsen getting this decision wrong from the jump. Yeah, I mean, first of all, Ryan Hollingshead used to stand for something. It's sad. I'm just kidding. I like Ryan. He's a good dude. But he's like, he was an attacking player. He was a fun player. And now he's like, yeah, no, we'll just grit and grind behind the ball and score off set pieces. And that's fine. And it works. Um, I think, I wonder in post game, Ben Olsen was pretty somber. Um, 
I think some of it was like the stark reality. Some of it was sure. his history, which is he knows he's not guaranteed to get back here. Like this group's not guaranteed to get back here, right? It was a special opportunity. It was a special chance. And so I think there's some of that. And part of it may have been what you said, Joe, which is just like he maybe felt like he didn't put his team in the best spot to succeed. But I honestly look back again at last game and say SKC changed who they were to go on the road and get a result and they could never find themselves. And so you always have to try and find that line of being who you are and adjusting to the opponent. I I, I just think a lot of the ways you, you spin this one, Houston was going to lose this game. Yep, yep. And so I don't know that if they changed to what you talked about, that the result's any different or they get yep. out any different. And so yep. it's just sometimes the reality of, you didn't. They didn't have the quality that LAFC has. And one of the things with LAFC is this adjustment to who they've become, playing against the ball, sitting in, whatever. They have borderline elite talent to do it. Like Chiellini and Murillo in front of Crepo, behind that three-man midfield in Tillman Acosta that can cover so much ground, close you down quickly, be physical to try and push you negative if you think you've broken through. And Ilya sort of managing the whole thing with Buanga on the break. Like, they are set up perfectly for all of these things. And so I don't know that Houston could readjust themselves as well and be successful. One thing we do agree on, even if, if the nitty gritty stuff we're still off on is, is that the the number of times this game was going to come up with a Houston win, it pales in comparison to the number of times it was come up, going to come up an LAFC win. This one, even if the tactical stuff didn't go quite to script and how I thought it would, the game itself went to script, right? One thing that I, I'd written about coming into this game is set pieces and how we were we were probably going to get a goal, or at least a very, very good chance off of a set piece. Both of these teams, good set piece teams in the regular season, certainly when it comes to the attacking side. LAFC now, I believe, have 14 set piece goals, which is a lot of set piece goals. Yeah. They took advantage of Vancouver's issues in that phase in, in round one. They score a goal off of the ball comes in. Chiellini gets on it. Uh, it's not fully dealt with by the Dynamo. And Ryan Hollingshead comes and, and collapses and scores just before halftime. And it's 1-0 to LAFC. And at that point, it didn't really feel like the Dynamo were going to have way back in. The 80th minute, they get the second goal. It's a Franco Escobar own goal. You know, at least this guy scores, right? No matter what, whatever team it's for. Franco Escobar is putting the ball in the back of the net in the postseason, <laughs> trying to get rid of uh, a Diego Palacios low-driven cross across the goal mouth. And it's 2-0 LAFC, and, and this one's done. Do you in any way think that I'm speaking like a uh, sane human being and talking about LAFC and like what they stand for and what they're doing? Or is it just they're an MLS Cup and that's what you should do? Yeah, I I would not really go with you on some of the downsides of what LAFC do. No, uh, it's it's not really like... I'm not attracted to the narrative of like, oh, this this club has fallen from where they used to be stylistically. They're not as aesthetically fun to watch now as they used to be, right? They don't do as much of the pretty stuff in possession. I'm only interested in that really as a talking point in as much as it, it actually limits them, right? And, and it does limit them. LAFC's inability to, or lack of desire, whatever it is, to go out there and really create with the ball is a limitation. The, the thing is, it's just not going to matter for yeah. Saturday, right? Like yeah. it didn't end up mattering it, in this game against Houston. It didn't end up mattering against Seattle. It does matter in some games and it limited what LAFC could do in the regular season. They do yeah. not have clear patterns or clear principles in the final third. And I think their chances of going out there and winning a supporter shield are probably lower playing this way, but going out there and doing what they do in big games in any individual game, that's a knockout must win, whatever it is. I think LAFC are pretty much, not all the way, but are pretty much in just as good of a position now as they've ever been. But I am with you. Like, there are 
real legitimate flaws and some chinks in the arm of how this team plays, it just won't matter at all on Saturday against Columbus. It's almost like they swapped from Bob's team being dominant in the regular season and having all this but struggling <laughs> right. in knockouts to right. the other way around. And I completely agree with you. It does not affect their ability to win this weekend. It doesn't affect their ability to win in the postseason, but it does affect their ability to win match in and match out consistently in a flow to try and win a supporter shield, which some fans will say they prefer, some fans won't, some clubs will say they prefer, some won't. So there's all a little bit of space in there, but um, it, it was an interesting game. It was interesting that Vela had the chances and didn't put them away. Uh, it was interesting, I thought, at times where Buanga, it felt like played a little bit selfless or maybe in third gear, understanding like what the match required and that it didn't require him to just try and attack, attack, attack every time he got the chance. And I thought he actually left a little space for Vela to operate. And Vela couldn't put them away. And he's going to keep starting because the set piece service is there and he's Vela and Mario Gonzalez hasn't proved he deserves to be in that spot. But if they don't win that game, you look back on that first minute chance hitting the crossbar and those first three chances in the first 18 minutes that Vela doesn't put away and one he's offside and it would be his legacy potentially for LAFC in how he left. Yeah, we'll talk more about Carlos Vela, more about LAFC, more about Columbus and MLS Cup, all that stuff coming up after a short break. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We are previewing, at this point, MLS Cup on Saturday between the Columbus crew and LAFC. This game will be held in Columbus, Ohio, at Lower.com Field, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Again, that's on Saturday. Gosh, for... For us, as we set the groundwork for some things we're looking for in this final as we do our last draft of the postseason, which is the real the real draw in all of this. Um, I, I want <laughs> I want to forgot about this sound. crap. That's the best sound you could have made in response to me saying that. As we set the foundation for all that stuff, quickly, I want to ask you, what is this game gonna look like? Right? When people turn on this game on Saturday, what what is the flow? What are you expecting this game to look like from the opening whistle? I think it'll look a lot like LAFC Seattle's game in the amount of possession Columbus will have as the home team, the amount of pressure that um, that LAFC will choose to provide, how low LAFC's line of confrontation will be, but also then where the direct first pass comes out. And it'll be either into someone centrally to go left to Buanga or directly over the top for Buanga. I have stated this a couple times. Cincinnati has now confirmed it. Like there is a belief clearly that there's a, a potential to press Farsi and Marrera into a mistake. So I would expect LAFC to sort of angle their pressure where when it comes to LAFC's left side, they'll close down. When it goes to the right side, they'll probably drop off a little bit more and try and shut off the ball and try and keep it contained in that side. But like, 70-30 may not be ridiculous based off what we saw from LAFC at home against the worst team in Houston to go into this game and expect that Columbus will have 70% possession throughout. You mentioned the line of confrontation, and that's one of the things I'm watching for in this game, accepting that the pattern is, is going to be a Columbus controlling the ball at home in front of mostly their fans, doing what they've done all year long. They don't change for anybody, all that stuff. LAFC, as we talked about, transitioning into a transition-heavy team under Steve Terundolo, that basic pattern feels set to me. Like, I'll be shocked if anything yeah. other than that happens at a nil-nil scoreline. Which could mean LAFC comes out and tries to hit early and right. be aggressive, which would surprise everyone, but hence would be why they try it. 
Right. It, it is not unfathomable that there is some wrench thrown into the to, into the works here. But you mentioned line of confrontation. Where do you think that's going to be? Because I think that is maybe the biggest choice that Steve Trundle has to make. I think the lineup is set. I don't think we're going to see any changes on that front. How he decides to defend and where he decides to defend could have a massive impact on this game. If you're Steve Trundolo, where are, where are you putting that line? It's tough because it's different than Houston because Herrera has the ability to pick his head up deeper and hit you in ways that Nagby won't and Aiden Morris won't. And really no one along the Columbus back line will. But I think for LAFC, the game plan is to find the areas where you can bring Buanga and Oliveira slightly in and off deep enough to bait Marrera and Odmanson to to try and progress the ball forward at their feet. And where you can catch Columbus in those mistakes is when Marrera and Odmanson try and take the space themselves, lose possession, and then you can attack into where they've left it. And while Nagby's been really good and Morris can be special, neither of them are elite at going out and covering in that open space or prepared to do it at times when they're in possession. So I think somewhere deeper than the midfield line, obviously, like I think that LAFC will allow the back three and when Nagby drops into it to sort of knock it around. I wouldn't be shocked if Tillman is sort of connected to Nagby and shadows Nagby, allowing him to get it, but not allowing him to turn. And Nagby, for as good as he is, will take the negative pass and will take a touch back towards his own goal anytime you give it to him, really. And so I think that's kind of one of the ways LAFC can try and slow the amount of pressure they're under. But I expect it to be that deeper line. I expect them to try and find the pockets or try and open up those pockets in the channel to try and goad those center backs or wide center backs to come into it. And then that's where their triggers will be. That's where their traps will be. And whether it's playing the ball into space for Buanga or Vela to run onto, or it's into Vela's feet, and then he launches the counterattack. That's where LAFC is going to find their success, I think. Are you at all concerned about, from an LAFC perspective, right? If they're going to be the team playing against the ball, they're going to be the team that's tasked with breaking through the crew's counterpressure, right? Doing all of those things. Are you concerned at all about Carlos Vela, the number nine? Because I have this game that's still etched in my mind from early on in the year. It's LAFC against the Seattle Sounders, and Seattle and Columbus are not the same. But this was back, you know, much, much earlier on in the regular season. I think the first meeting between those two teams ended nil-nil. LAFC had, you know, bits and pieces of the ball, but they were trying to go out there and get on the break through Carlos Vela as the number nine. And Vela could not hold up the ball to bring others into the game. It's going to be a somewhat similar challenge for LAFC in this match of Vela having to be the one as the nine. Because Gonzalez has not cemented himself as a starter. Ordaz is not that guy for this team. It is Vela in that role. And I'll, I'll be surprised if it's not him there on Sunday, Saturday, excuse me. I, I'm wondering if that could pose some problems for LAFC, David, as they try to actually get out on the break and really play in those moments against the crew. So, but you asked me, but then you answered it, right? Well, I'm, I'm saying my opinion, but I'm still curious on, on what you think on that front. Yeah, there's just no one else you trust. And... Vela's had some tough moments in this postseason. I go back to the chance against Seattle in the playoffs where Oliveira slides it over to him on the edge of the six on his right. He has to take it back to his left. He's not as quick as he used to be to then get out of the traffic he causes. Like It was a tap-in on his right that he goes back to his left. For a guy who doesn't really affect the game very much, that's a necessity. Um, there's a ton of concern with Vela. He's not the player he used to be. He's not a difference maker very often. But his set-piece service is high quality, and I think there's trust. There's trust that when the game is bad, you can play into his feet and he can draw a foul. 
and sort of get you out of it. And I think there's trust right now that he can read Buanga and Olivero's movement and at least get out of the way and make the game easier for them in that retrospect. And when you look at the goal they scored against Seattle, Vela goes and clears out onto the other side. Olivero flips the field. He comes over to Buanga's side. That's what allows the dummy from Tillman's ball that Buanga takes all the way to goal. And so I think there's enough there and there's enough trust and institutional knowledge with Vela that he's going to be on the field and he is a better option than all those other guys. And I want to say like, oh, a chance falls to him. You trust him. But this is not two straight games where that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah, that is very true with Carlos Vela. Certainly not the player that he used to be, as you said. Looking at Columbia. Yeah, go ahead. You go. Well, so here's my question for you. So we know what the game's going to look like a lot, right? We know a lot of the pieces. You, I assume you'd be shocked if LAFC didn't start the exact same 11 as the last game. Yeah, I, I would be very surprised if it's not Vela at the nine, Bowanga off the left, Oliveira off the right, the same midfield with Acosta in it, all that stuff. So then, like, where is the hole? Where's the threat? What's, what's if you're Steve Chirondolo, what keeps you up at night this week? Yeah, I'm still just worried about the crew's ability to overload in wide areas, right? They're not a team that only crosses the ball in, especially without Julian Gressel in the starting lineup, right? That is a big question. If if Julian Gressel is not in the lineup for this team, and I'm still fascinated to see what Wilfred Nice yeah. is going to do on that front, and maybe we'll talk about that. But even when he is in the team, Gressel, they're still not just pumping in cross after cross after cross. They'll go through the middle. Their ability to penetrate basically anywhere across the entire width of the field is unique in Major League Soccer. They are the best team with the ball, not just at keeping it. Like the Dynamo can keep the ball. The crew can create chances with their possession. That is what puts them up a level on anybody in Major League Soccer. But I am most curious about how LAFC deal with the wide areas because when Gressel, when Gressel is on the field, either late in game or to start a game, the ball is inevitably going to end up there. And with how LAFC defend in their 4-3-3 shape, they don't really flatten out the wingers, right? You think about how teams across the world tend to defend. It's either a 4-4-2 shape or it's a 4-5-1 shape or it's with some sort of back five where you have width somewhere in a line of five or two banks of four. LAFC are one of the relatively few teams that don't really do that. Yeah, they'll go to a 4-4-2 to end a game when they bring Bogush off the bench, but they play in a 4-3-3 in every phase, which leaves them vulnerable at times to overloads in wide areas because you're asking Tim Tillman to go out there and do a bunch of work shifting from the middle to the wing. You're asking Kellen Acosta to do that or you're asking Bowanga to go and track back or you're asking Vela or Oliveira to go and track back and that doesn't happen a ton for LAFC partially because they don't always allow themselves to be pinned deep for so long but the crew will pin them deep. They will move the ball. They will force them to go side to side. If I'm Seam Chirundolo then I am panicked about how I'm going to deal with the crew's possession play because I know it's going to come. I know it's going to happen. I just don't know exactly how this team is going to deal with it. Now, I still trust LAFC defensively, right? They're not going to leak chances. They are really good in that 4-3-3 shape. They are really good at shifting from side to side and at denying chances. They're one of the best defensive teams in all, all of MLS this year. But Columbus is a different beast and they haven't played Columbus all year long and they're going to put, the crew are going to put LAFC in really awkward positions that they just haven't been in this year. Uh, wrench here, sidebar, not going to happen ever. But what I would say or do, <laughs> if I wasn't going to start Vela, I would start Aaron Long. And I would go 5-3-2 and I'd play Buanga alongside Oliveira up top and I'd play all three center backs. And I would give a little bit more freedom to my wing backs to push wider and, and match up 1v1 against the crew wing backs. That would be the change I would make over starting a Mario Gonzalez or 
um, Nathan Ordaz or whatever that is. That's, I mean, gosh, if only Trundle had thought to do that in a knockout game, in a maybe not a knockout game, but in like, you know, the biggest game of the year in a continental competition, maybe, say against Leon, say when LAFC lost an aggregate 3-1 and they lost the home leg 1-0. Yeah, because they back, give up goals five. in, because they, well, also that was with John McCarthy. That's different. Okay. <laughs> Shots, shots fired at the MLS Cup winning goalkeeper from last no, season. No, John McCarthy I mean, Cropo is, is better, right? Cropo is better. You're but calling LAFC? him MLS Cup winner. Oh, so what? He plays for a national <laughs> team now? Okay. <laughs> Dang it. That's a good catch on your part. I deserve that. Yep. I didn't I didn't like it when it came out of my mouth, and I hope that if I kept nice. going, you wouldn't notice it. Um, well played. That's one point for you. But like I, I guess I would push. I, I would not do that if I'm Toronto just because do you remember how bad they looked in that shape? Yeah. Like they weren't atrocious, but they, they honestly looked like they did not know how to play that look to the point where I was wondering if maybe, maybe they trained it for a day or maybe two days. I, yeah. I, I don't know. So it feels real risky. It's interesting that how you talked about the overloads out wide and sort of whipping in crosses and the threat it creates, because to me, what I keep thinking about is Columbus's rotation of the ball around zone 14 around the box how quickly they move it how pretty much all three of the attackers four sometimes when you add in Morris or one of the wingbacks coming off or Marrera they love a quick one too they like everyone's looking to slip each other in and I think about Chiellini sort of hanging on the edge against Seattle who struggles at that and isn't good in those tight areas. And yet Chiellini almost got beat three or four times in which he made some big tackles. And I think moments where Mario struggles. And then if you can surround Ilya Sanchez and force him to make multiple decisions or at least move a ton, it feels like there's space centrally for Columbus to operate and get into the channels in the box. And then they get the pullbacks or it's a Cucho shot from that angle where they can be really dangerous in ways that I think they were incapable of against Orlando because I actually thought think Orlando defended that really well. And in moments they did in times against Cincinnati, but Cincinnati have that third piece in there as that third center back who's helping in those moments. Yeah, I, I do take your point, right? Columbus are excellent at overloading that part of the field and having another body intentionally in that area to defend against some of those patterns and some of the movements. Cucho Hernandez dropping into the half space, overloading just outside of zone 14, all that stuff. Having another body there on paper works. But but with Columbus, one of the things that makes them so dangerous is the fact that like you can say that about basically any part of the field. right? With how they move the ball and how they move off the ball, it's like the yeah. crew are almost almost always at some sort of numerical advantage, right? That's a key part of how they move the ball from, you know, their own goal to the opposition goal. So it is, it's really, really hard if you're LAFC to think about how you go out there and defend the crew. I want to flip this one to you as well, because we talked about Gressel. And if, if we're doing the crew, let's go ahead and, and, and finish this out. If you're Wilfred Nance, simple question. David Goss, who are you starting in this game at right wing back? Are you starting Mo Farsi? Or are you starting the player you went out and actually traded for midseason in Julian Gressel? I'm starting Mo Farsi. Okay. I think they're... I will say from my point of view, I think Farsi is a more physical defender, not a more physical player because Gressel's like built like a house. But I think he's a more physical defender. He's scrappier in tackles. He stays engaged in tackles longer. And I think over the course of this game, your biggest conversation there is dealing with Buanga and occupying that space. And I still think Farsi has earned the trust, even with the mistake against Cincinnati over the course of the last two weeks, 
to be in there and be that player for Nance. And it works. Like, I think one of the issues we have in talking about super subs and changing games and who this player is, is the assumption that the substitute will then be the difference maker from the start. And if you have a formula that has worked in Columbus for the last two playoff games and over the course of the season of like, you have difference makers off the bench if you need it in the attacking sense, I don't know why you go out of your way to change it now coming into this game. I take your point on that. I think there are valid reasons why Mo Farsi is in the 11. The defensive side is a big part. Gressel's not an excellent 1v1 defender, and he is limited in those moments, especially against a guy like Dennis Bawanga running at him the opposite direction. So I, I don't I don't really blame Nansei for going away from Gressel. The thing I'll, I'll add is just Gressel has not just been a difference maker off the bench, right? He, he's been a difference maker in, in every role he's ever been in Major League Soccer, right? Right wing back for Atlanta, central midfield for Atlanta under Tata Martino, right wing back or midfield in, in Vancouver, out, out wide for Columbus this year. I mean, he played 56 minutes off the bench at the end of regulation and extra time uh, the other day against Cincinnati and had the most key passes yeah. of any of any player, right? He had five. Cucho Hernandez also had five. Cucho Hernandez started and played 120 minutes in that game. Gressel is an elite playmaker. He is, along with Cucho Hernandez, the best provider that Columbus has. And I almost wonder if if you leave Gressel off the field to start, and I, I think that's the most likely thing, by the way. I don't think Nance has shown any inclination to reverse that choice. Bringing him off the bench against Cincinnati, I do not think was an admission that he had gotten something wrong. And I'm still not 100% sure that he has gotten something wrong. But the idea of, of keeping Gressel on the field from the start of this game I think plays into what we've talked about with the crew, which is that they know what they want to do. They're committed to attacking and they're not afraid of you. And I think when you when you make that choice to put Farsi on instead of Gressel, you sort of admit like, okay, we're, we're not playing to our 100% of what we can do with the ball. Whether or not that will matter, I don't know. LAFC, either way, whether it's whether it's Gressel, whether it's Farsi, doesn't matter. They're going to be extremely dangerous in transition in this game. Like that is going to be their thing. Buwanga is a superstar. He and Cucho Hernandez are, are probably the two best players in Major League Soccer. Certainly on form right now, but maybe even the two most well-rounded attackers in the entire league. And that includes someone like Lucio Acosta. Buwanga is a nightmare to deal with. And Vela is still a nightmare in moments to deal with. And they have the quality. Oliveira has been sneaky good this season, has kept Steve Buke off the field and, and you know other LAFC attackers. LAFC are going to be a nightmare to deal with, regardless of who is along that crew back line, especially at the right side of there. Is there any conversation about Christian Ramirez starting for you? Or is that the same? I Less than Gressel? I, I think yeah, it's a I, conversation. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a conversation. Like if that comes up around the the Columbus crew coaching staff in the office at some point this week, I, I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever. But disrupting this attacking rhythm when it has been bringing you goals and Ramirez is much more of a traditional super sub, someone who can pin the center backs back and create space in other ways, all that stuff. Like I don't know that I would choose to mess with that particular recipe. Yeah, I think the I think Gressel is closer yep. than Ramirez because I think there's a lot of things that already work in that attack. The nice part about when Ramirez comes on is when Cucho drops in and just is more active. But I also think there's like a element of this is going to be, you have played 120 minutes now as Cucho two straight weeks on the road. Like, I don't know that you need to make Cucho do more things for longer in this game if you can avoid it, even though it's the yeah. final. And like I said, I think some of the things that Matan brings because I assume that's who it would be for alongside Rossi and Cucho 
I think actually work better against LAFC and at home than they have against Orlando and Cincinnati in the last two games. So if I'm non say, I want to see that. Like, I think I believe that that can work from the jump and I want to set the tone there. And again, like I said, and you talk to coach about this all the time. They're like, this guy's a super sub. It works. That works. I don't need, because if you change that, now you're readjusting Ramirez's role and you have to readjust Matan's role. You don't know that Matan's going to be a difference maker off the bench for you. You don't know if it fits for him. You don't know how it will affect things. So we'll see. I think one of the big ones will be when Columbus gets down, you're going to want Ramirez on the field for set pieces because Chiellini and Murillo are, are going to be pretty dominant there for the most part going into the times until you get Ramirez on the field. So there are options for Nance. There are more for Nance than for Chirondolo, but I would I would assume we will see the exact same teams for both sides to start this game. Any other, Goss, before we do our draft and wrap things, this thing up, on the LAFC side, any other you know players you're watching for, things you're watching for, things that you think could punish Columbus in this game away from home, any other LAFC nuggets before we get out of here? Yeah, I think there's the idea of like what Palacios and Hollingshead are going to have to do in this game because you've got you're going to have those overloads, but Yaya Boa is a low end defender in MLS. As is Mo Farsi, by the way. Like Mo Farsi being on the field is not saying like, oh, we're going to bring in the lockdown defender who can't pass. Like that's not what he brings. But you did not see Palacios or Hollingshead get into the attack at all in the run of play until Palacios forced the own goal against Houston. So it will be interesting to see if LAFC at any point tries to get those numbers higher up the field. Like to hurt Columbus, you have to attack. You have to take some risk. I think Orlando learned that too late in their game. I think Cincinnati came out with some intent to try and and push that, but didn't have the resources to do it over the course of the game. So where and when LAFC goes for it is big. From a narrative point of view, they've lost two finals already this year. They were up 2-0 in a quarterfinal in the League's Cup. They lost that as well. They lost twice in the CCL final, both legs. That is the storyline right now. If they lose this game, we're going to have to try and figure out in about a week how to put this season into context for LAFC of what it means to contend over the course of so many competitions and lose in all of them. I don't think it's irrelevant to say that that will be not be on the minds of the players and around this club going into this weekend. Yep. I would agree with all of that. This is a big game from LAFC. At the same time, they they kind of have a get-out-of-jail free card being on the road. So that, that does change the calculus a little bit. But they're the team with more recent experience in these moments. They've, they've been in them this year. I, I think there will be very real pressure on this LA team, especially when you don't know how much longer you're going to have Carlos Vela with the club or, or with any sort of meaningful standing on the field in, in, a, in MLS with LAFC. So I think that's all totally fair. I'm curious about set pieces. I'm curious about how Max Crepeau changes games. I think throughout the playoffs so far, he's saved something like 4.4, as I hit my pot filter, 4.4 goals above expected, which is absurd, and he's been a massive, massive factor for them in all of their last three games, even against Houston, where you know the Dynamo weren't really dangerous as we've covered, but he, he took care of business. Another clean sheet for LAFC in that game. So all of those things I'm watching for, Kripo, Holling said how they deal with, uh, how Columbus deal with LAFC on set pieces. I think those could be keys in this game as well. Okay, you made me do LAFC first, so now you do Columbus first. I, okay, any any other Columbus nuggets? All right. Um, I think for Columbus, thinking about this game, 
it is really the individual defending of their center backs and how many times they're going to have to be back in their own half defending. Because if you look at a weakness of this crew team, it's their ability to defend in deeper areas. It's their ability to defend when isolated, when the opposition has broken through their counter press. Cincinnati punished them in, in bits and pieces, right, in different transition moments and in different moments breaking in behind the back line. Cincinnati had some success with that and scored two goals in 45 minutes against the crew. That's not insignificant. LAFC has as much talent in the attack as Cincinnati does, and they're very, very good in transition. So how Columbus deal with LAFC when they inevitably slip through the cracks a few times and break in beyond, I think is going to be massive. Like, they need to have, the crew I think will need to have a very good performance out of someone like Steven Marrera, who is not even in the top, like, six or seven people you'd mention when it comes to the crew, but they need him to be sharp in those defensive transition moments. They need him to be sharp dealing with balls into the box because he has not been really ever as a player, certainly not in this postseason. And then they need Patrick Schulte to be strong. I mentioned Kripov like two seconds ago for LAFC. I do think LAFC have the goalkeeping edge in this game, but Patrick Schulte, 22 years old, young goalkeeper, former MLS Next Pro guy, right? Another one of those for the crew after we talked about Mo Farsi earlier. They need to him. They need him to have a big performance because LAFC are going to get their chances, even though the crew do a good job of limiting those with how they play and how they attack and how they counterpress. LAFC are too good not to get something, and they're, they're going to get a few of those looks. And how Patrick Schulte does in those moments, just like how the defenders in front of him do in their individual moments, I think could go a long way towards defining this game. It's going to be. I just for Columbus, there's part of it where it's like you know the script, you know what goes on. I think what you talked about defensively is like the Mo Farsi mistake against Cincinnati. I think they need to get out the first 15 minutes without having made that mistake. I think if they, tr I understand I just spent 35 minutes talking about how Columbus doesn't panic. They stick to the script. They, they have belief. If they're down one zero out of the first 15 minutes at home, I, it's just going to change the atmosphere. And I was in Columbus for 2015 MLS cup where Steve Clark or not Steve Clark. Was it Steve Clark? Yeah. He got pressed into a mistake in like the opening 90 seconds and you just felt this atmosphere shift. And I think Columbus has to avoid that. And I think if they can get through the first 15 minutes just unharmed, then you can start to really put down the roots of what makes you good and what makes you great and, and play with that confidence. But if, if Vela gets a chance like he did against Houston early or one falls for Buanga, or Buang is able to press Farsi into a mistake and get in 1v1. I just, I worry for Columbus that coming back home in this pressure finally is the thing that breaks the dam of like pure belief and Ted Lasso and we're going to get through everything. And so I worry about that for this Columbus team. But I'm, I'm as excited for this final as I've been because so often we talk about all these things and then it's like, both teams come out not to lose. And when that <laughs> happens, a lot of what we just talked about goes out the window because it's just who's less scared for the first 45 minutes. Columbus won't. They just, they can't. They haven't. Every round, when everyone yells about the format, they're like, well, look how good the Columbus game was. Columbus is always fun. That's the reality of what happens. And they will always stick to their guns. And so this game's, I think, going to be as good as as a final as we've had. I think you'll see it. I, I think lower.com, the setting's going to be phenomenal. The vibe's going to be phenomenal. 4 p.m.'s like perfect kickoff. Not too early, not too late. So I'm just really excited for, I think, what's going to be a good cap to the season. Agreed. I think this is, this is shaping up to be, at least with the participants, 
one of the best MLS Cups that that we've ever had, and one of the best certainly that we've had in recent years, looking back at some of the, the last few years of MLS Cup matchups. On paper, this one shapes up to be really, really strong because it's two teams that are elite at what they do, and they do very different things, which mm-hmm. I think leads to a very strong, compelling matchup where you see the best of both teams, So and potentially the worst as well, right? So I'm excited about that. Uh, guys, we have one more thing left to do. I mentioned it. Uh, we got to do the draft. I honestly can't remember... I think I got two points in the conference finals. Is I'm not even trying to like bait you here. Is that is that what happened? I think I picked LAFC first. That got you stuck with a dynamo, and then you understandably then picked, picked Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yeah, wow. which I can't I can't fault you for. Yeah, I think, wow. I think I swept you in the last round. Yeah. H- how are we doing this? How are we doing MLS Cup? Do I you get to pick first. again? Yeah. Okay. I'm I will say lose. this. I was well. You've already lost, my friend. You've, you've, there's no. Uh, Taylor was trying to do some points accumulation yeah, thing no, that neither one of us really it, understood. Isn't it, um, <laughs> next shot wins. Are we playing <laughs> next shot wins? <laughs> that felt like what we were trending towards in the last round, and uh, that's that's not happening. And Taylor's not here today, so I, I have already claimed the title. But I am having a hard time deciding between these two teams to the point where I would kind of be okay with you picking. I am going to pick the Columbus Crew because of the one simple fact that they're playing at home. I do not have a strong feeling about which team is going to win this game. I think LAFC is a terrible matchup for the crew. I think the crew are a bad matchup for anyone. That is what it comes down to. I trust LAFC to go out there and find looks on the break. I also trust the crew to break down anybody in MLS, and that includes LAFC for reasons that we've already talked about. So I think this is, you can look at it in a lot of different ways. I think this is a really, really tight game on paper. Not that one team couldn't come in and blow the doors off the other, but I'm having a hard time separating these two. I can think of basically equal realities where the crew come in, start hot, score a goal, LAFC can't get it together, Columbus win at home in regulation. I I can think of, on the other side, equal realities where LAFC come out, get an early goal on the break, defend hard, do the gritty stuff, all that jazz, and they win 1-0 or 2-1 or whatever it is, right? So I'm picking Columbus because they're at home, which means you get LAFC. I, I honestly don't feel great about that just because I, I cannot tell the difference right now. I agree with you. It is, as I sort of laid out when we had the LAFC convo, like LAFC are very good at doing the thing they've been doing in this postseason, which is the only way to play against Columbus. So they are set up to win this game. But in saying that, I think Columbus are so committed and good at what they do that that's fine for Columbus. Like they don't need a game where uh, it's unsure. Both teams are going to open up. They're going to do what they do. LAFC at the same time. And now you talk about a situation of like Chiellini sitting, you know, sitting in a, a back line where he's marshalling and putting out fires and reading the game and, and communicating like that's a dream situation for LAFC, even though it's not an ideal way for a game to set up or for a final and, you know, there'll be space for Buanga on the break and Oliveira as well. There, There's a lot to like for LAFC. I think you mentioned and going away, like there's a little less pressure on them. They can do pretty much exactly what they did against Seattle. Not like it seems to matter. Uh, and for as much as I said, like they've lost all these finals this year, they won MLS Cup last year. And there were a lot of players in this team who were there. And there were a lot of players in this team who were in a game in which their starting goalkeeper broke his leg. They were down with a minute to go in extra time and had to go through penalty kicks. Like that's a group that's been through some battles together. And so I don't think LAFC will be phased by any of the moments. I don't think they'll be phased by Columbus having a ton of the ball in the crowd being against them. And so I can see every possibility that LAFC wins. As a neutral who likes Major League Soccer in the league, I want Columbus to win. I think a lot of what Columbus has done in saying that this is a copycat league, I hope people copy what they did, which is valuing coaches, valuing 
front office members who have experience winning in this league and have clear ideas of what they want to be. And in talking what we did about how excited we are for this game, you can't leave out the fact that there's the high-end talent. Like, they're both good at what they do. They both know what they want to do. And Cucho and Buanga are two of the best players to ever come into this league. And they came in at a different age profile than what we see a lot of stars come into. They're both leaders. They're both committed. Like, they are the example of what a designated player signing should be. And a lot of the pieces in these two teams are an example of what we want the teams in this league to build through. Agreed. 1,000% agreed. And that's another reason why, to your point, that this matchup is shaping up to be a really, really strong one. Guys, we'll be back after the game. Not directly after, but we'll have another show recapping MLS Cup, digging into all the nitty-gritty. I'll try to add as much color and review of the Columbus food scene as I possibly can after that match, and, and you'll have a lot of insight into the game, of course. David, anything else from you before we get out of here? No, it's been a long road. I'm, I'm ready to get there. Um, <laughs> shout out to Diego Rossi. Can't lose both sides. So, you know. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah, he. I feel like he can lose. If, if yeah. he loses, I think, he'll, I think he'll probably lose. On that note of the last game of the season coming up on Saturday, for myself, Joe Lowry, and David Goss, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll be back again in the feed later this week.